All right, thank you ladies and thank you gentlemen for moving those. What a joy to be here this morning. And uh, the psalmist said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Some Baptists might have wrote that verse. I was sad. Because that's the way they look. Few of them might have to quote it like this. I was mad. Some folks look like they're mad. Not not you, but some folks look like they're mad. Aren't you glad to be saved this morning? On your way to heaven. If you're saved this morning, you're going to live as long as God lives in eternity. Isn't that wonderful? And if you're not saved before you leave here today, you can be. And know for sure that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Thank you, Pastor Marshall. What an honor to be here today. I thoroughly enjoyed and Miss Graham enjoyed the couples retreat. Of course, we uh, had the privilege of speaking there, but we enjoyed the games. We loved watching everything that happened. Can I just say, put it on your calendar for next year. I'm not the guest speaker, so put it on for next year. And I'll tell you why, you will not regret it. Every once in a while, I have somebody in my church say, well, our marriage, we don't need a couples retreat. And I always think, probably worse than you know. And it's not just about, some people think, oh, a couples retreat, that means we've got problems. No, sometimes it's just to enjoy the blessings of being able to get away. And guys, let me tell you, I I did the math a while ago. Please don't say you can't afford it. Because you could save, what, probably less than $5 a week and pay for the deal and go out and eat a few times. So, I mean, wow, she's surely worth five bucks a week. I'm just saying, you know, just a thought. But uh, not scolding anybody. We had a great crowd, but I'm just saying it'd be a worthwhile time for you. And you say, well, you know, we went to a couple's re- retreat one time. We still have problems. Well, I tell you what, if you got kids at home, you still have problems. <laughs> and then when they're gone, you still have problems. Amen? Say amen right there. It's okay. We have the perfect marriage. One guy told my dad's pastor one time, he said, my wife and I have been married for over 40 years. We have never had an argument in my Dad's preacher thought, this guy's a liar. He said, no sir, my wife and I never argue. He said, we reason everything out. He said, sometimes you can hear us reasoning all over town, but we reason (laughs) everything out. What a joy to be here. And listen, good help, good encouragement, not only for your marriage, for your family. I don't know about you, uh, but I want to have the kind of home that would honor the Lord. And be an influence now that my children are grown on the grandchildren. Make a difference. And uh, it's a joy to be here. Good to see Pastor Stevens. I'll tell you, I was excited, Brother Marshall, when I heard he was here. I hope you don't mind just taking a moment to say what a blessing it is to see the Stevens. Brother Stevens, and I'm not a man worshiper, but you get some heroes in your life. Men that really make a difference. And he made a difference in my life. Had me preach for him way, way back when I was a young preacher. We're still young, Brother Stevens. We're just not as young as we used to be. And uh, uh, he was telling me something today and talking about forgetfulness. And, you know, I'm just thinking, yes, <laughs> I'm there. But anyway, man, I love this couple. I'll tell you, we're so glad to see you all and glad that you're here. Precious, precious people. And uh, then, of course, I saw Miss Brenda a while ago. And, of course, I saw Sammy. And i uh, got to give a shout out to Sammy, amen. Boy, I tell you, this church has been good to us. I mean, Ben got his wife here, and then I got a son-in-law out of here. So, you know. 
I feel so bad. I'm always picking on Brother Chad. He's a, he's preaching one of the services today while I'm gone, doing a great job. I'll tell you, he's been on staff with us over 18 years and doing a phenomenal job. And I mean that. I appreciate him and Miss Beth and what God's doing in their life, and we're just delighted to have him there. But and I even tell him once why I love him, and it just always throws him into a real shock. You know, it's like, okay, what I do with that? But what a blessing! And then what a joy to see. Uh, the Wolframs, man, we've got to be in some meetings together. God's using their family in a tremendous way. And thank you so much for your faithfulness to the Lord. I saw him and Brother Coley talking a while ago, and I said to Brother Wolfram, uh, you're an evangelist. What's he doing talking to you? It's not like that's going to garner a meeting. I'm just kidding. I'm just messing with you, Brother Coley. But anyway, and, uh, you know, we, we, you know, missionaries, they usually zero in on the pastors, you know, and but maybe you can recommend him. I'm just saying. No, I love Brother Coley, his dad, mom. I'll tell you, precious missionaries, and uh, we've had the privilege of supporting them. And I've known his dad for, I mean, probably 32 years. And I want to say this about Brother Coley's dad, having been around him before he even went to the mission field, one of the finest Christians I've ever known. And Brother Coley, I want to tell you something. To be a great preacher is one thing, but to be a real Christian... That's a whole nother thing. And your dad is a great Christian. And I tell you, I love your parents. And I thank God for them. And I'm excited for you all. It's good to get to spend this time with you. And again, I want to say to Brother Marshall, what a, what a blessing. Thank you again for the honor and the privilege and the friendship that we have. We love Brother Marshall and, and Miss Pam. And so thankful that God is using them here. And it's evident the hand of God is continuing to bless the church. I, I miss Brother John being here. I changed sermons since he wasn't here I'd have preached on being carnal since uh, that's pretty close to his name. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you have your Bible. 1 Corinthians 15, and we'll read one verse of Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, a very familiar verse. You can stand with me. We'll read this one verse. I'll pray, and then you can be seated. And uh, I will be considerate of the time. My dad was a pastor. I had the privilege of serving on staff with him. He had a radio ministry. Radio ministry is a great discipline for time, because if you're not done, it's over, but I'll be sensitive, but at the same time, I want to say to us what God wants us to hear this morning, and I believe with all my heart, He wants to meet with us, and there may be somebody here that's lost, and you'll think some of this message is just for believers, that's okay, God can do some preaching through the Holy Spirit in your heart and life today, if you'll just listen. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I want to preach this morning on this thought, how to stay steadfast. Father, we love You and we pray that You would be pleased to fill us with the power of Your Holy Spirit. Give us liberty Give us clarity of thought. Lord, give us that touch from on high. We're pleading with You, Lord, just to meet with us in a very special way. We, we don't take lightly the honor of standing here today. And so we just beg that You would use us, that You would be pleased in all that's said and done. And we'll give You thanks in advance. In Jesus' name. And amen. You may be seated. 
Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. I want to just tell you without a doubt, it's uh, true today that sometimes we see what people call the flash in the pan. Something comes along, it looks big, it looks exciting, and even sometimes people line up behind it, and then it fizzles out and it fades away, and that person looks like they're going to do great things for God, and then they just disappear by the wayside. Hey, I want to tell you something, I want to be that kind of Christian That's steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Because we know our labor is not in vain in the Lord. Listen, the ministry and the Christian life, it's not about making a name for ourselves, but it is about exalting the One who loved us and gave Himself for us. The songwriter said it right when he said, let's talk about Jesus, the King of kings is He, the Lord of lords supreme throughout eternity, the great I Am, the way, the truth, the life, the door. Let's talk about Jesus more and more. It seems like our conversation gets captivated by so many other things. And yes, we're going to talk about other things, but I'm telling you, at the center of our attention ought to be the One who loved us and gave Himself for us. And if there's anything we ought to desire to do today is to let our light so shine before men that they might be pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we stay steadfast? Number one, stay fervent in your love for the Savior. We had the wonderful retreat and one of the things we emphasized, the importance of love in a home and marriage. But I'm telling you, a Christian life, if you're going to have the life that's going to count for Christ, stay in love with the Savior. So, well, Brother Graham, you just don't understand where I'm at in my life. You don't understand what I'm going through, the circumstances I'm dealing with. Can I tell you something? All you need to do is take a fresh look at Calvary. Remember what He did when He shed His blood and paid for your sins. How that He died on the old rugged cross. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. With His stripes we are healed. If we get a fresh look at the cross of Calvary and how that He who knew no sin became sin for us, we'll say with the songwriter, I keep falling in love with Him over and over and over and over again. Stay steadfast in your love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Stay fervent as you love Him. And you'll do that by spending time in the Scripture. Oh, Brother Graham, we thought you'd give us something new and deep and profound. Yet the Bible said, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Psalm 119 and verse 9. Jesus said in John 15, I believe it's verse 3, now are you clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. The Bible said to us in 2 Timothy, uh, the Scriptures tells us in chapter 2 and verse 15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. What a difference the word of God will make in our life. Listen, you'll never go wrong spending time in the word of God. You might say, Brother Graham, I'm so busy. There's so much going on in my life. But I will assure you, your day when it is spent first in the word of God will make all the difference in the world. In fact, as your time will be more productive when you go armed with the word of God. Stay in the scriptures and spend time in supplication and prayer. You know, the Bible said in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-3, through 3, I exhort therefore that first of all, I always get under conviction. I can't even finish this verse till I get under conviction. First of all. And He's going to tell us, first of all, supplications and that prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Now think about this. 
God is saying, first of all. I have to confess, sometimes I forget, first of all. I mean, like when I'm at a traffic light and the guy in front of me can't pick a color. Sometimes, first of all, I'm not thinking, Lord, I wish You'd really bless His day. Please just be with Him. If He's not a Christian, let Him get saved. I mean, my old Adamic nature wants to blow the horn and say, what color are you waiting for? I'm just saying, sometimes I forget, first of all. You know, the application here is that we would pray for kings and all those that are in authority. Say, well, we got, we got it made. We don't have a king in our world. No, but I'm going to tell you something. We've got a lot of authority in our life. Some of you young people get frustrated at home because your parents, man, you know, it's amazing how when we're little kids, it seems to us that our parents don't really get it. They don't understand. They, they just don't know what it's like to be young. Duh. They used to be your age. Yeah, but back in their day, they didn't have temptation like we do. Trust me, temptation has been around for a long time. And my parents are so strict. By the way, I've never felt sorry for a child who comes from a home with parents that put some restriction on their life. I'm nervous about those that come from homes where the parents never have any concern. Mom and Dad, let me just, this isn't the message, but let me just pause and say, uh, you know, uh, you, you say, well, I just don't ever want to get on to them because I don't, I don't want to warp them. I want to tell you, you're warping them by not getting on to them, by not correcting them, by not guiding them, by not directing them. But you know, you young people today, home could be a lot better if you would pray for those that are in authority, even mom and dad. Pray for your parents. Pray for your preacher. Well, I tell you, the devil gets us tempted sometimes to be critical of the man of God. Hear me now. First of all, God said, pray. You have parental authority. You have pastoral authority. Uh, You have... Uh, in your school, you have the principal and the teachers that are in authority. Hey, when's the last time you prayed for your teacher at school? Ooh, Brother Graham. You just don't understand who my teacher is. But God put her as an authority in your life. Pray for her, first of all. And what about the police? What about those that God places out there? What about our political leaders praying for them? Listen, uh, we find that we are to pray. The Bible said in verse 8, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. So, if prayer is so good and it helps us to walk with God, why don't we pray more? Well, here's just a quick little uh, side outline why men aren't praying everywhere. Number one, because of unholy living. He said, I would that men would lift up holy hands. Pretty hard to talk to a thrice holy God when we've got a bunch of junk in our life. Listen, you can come and confess and forsake and get right with Him, but listen, you're not going to have a prayer life if you're going to cling to all the mess of this world and then try to walk with God. It's just not going to happen. You're not going to be comfortable in His presence while you're participating in things that you know to be wrong. And so, he said, I would that men would lift up holy hands. But then he goes on and says, not only because of unholy living, but because of unforgiving spirits. He said, lifting up holy hands without wrath. And uh, listen, we're not going to be able to fellowship with God if we can't fellowship with each other. And I'll get to forgiveness in a moment, but let me just quickly say this, that if we're not careful, we can harbor anger and bitterness and ill feelings because of something that happened five years ago or 50 years ago. I'm telling you right now, it is not worth the interruption in your prayer life be caught up in that kind of foolishness. There'll be a day. It may not be today. There's going to be a day when you're going to need to get a hold of the Lord so bad. You don't want to have to waste the time trying to clean all that junk out of your life. Just stay right with God. Pursue 
of prayer life because of unbelieving hearts. He said, I want men to lift up holy hands everywhere uh, without wrath and doubting. Listen, we serve a big God. And He's able to do big things. And I know sometimes we think, oh, that's too much for God. Hey, there's nothing too hard for our God. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. The Scripture said, we simply have not because we ask not. So if you're going to stay fervent in your love for the Savior, you've got to spend time in the Scriptures and spend time in supplication. But number two, if we're going to be fervent in our steadfastness and be steadfast with the Lord, not only do we need to be fervent in our love for the Savior, but we need to stay faithful in our labor for the Savior. We sing the song at church, we'll work till Jesus comes. And the preacher says, hey, I need seven volunteers. Now, not here, but I mean some churches. Probably just Arkansas. And the truth of the matter is, you know, we'll work till Jesus comes, but man, we've been begging for weeks to get somebody to take this class or somebody to deal with this ministry or somebody helping that. I'm just simply saying, folks, we ought to be jumping in line to serve the Lord with all our heart, mind, and soul. One of the ways that we can labor for the Savior is by going after the lost. Trying to reach a world that doesn't know Him. Trying to reach out to a lost and dying world. 1 Thessalonians 2, 4 said, but we are allowed, we're allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. By the way, Brother Marshall, this was my dad's signature verse. We were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. Even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our heart. And listen, I'm not trying to just get everybody to run out the door and, you know, and, and uh, go 90 to nothing and never have a break. You've got life. You've got faith. I understand that. But you know, there's never a day of my life that I don't represent the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, people ought to see a difference. They, they ought to observe something different about us, but they also ought to hear us. Listen, we need to be a witness for Christ going after the lost, telling somebody about Jesus. Miss Graham and I used to sing a song years ago. I don't even remember the last time we sang this song. But I reference it every once in a while. It says, don't go to heaven alone. Take somebody with you. You invite somebody along, the journey won't seem quite so long. You'd be surprised how many would go if someone goes whom they know. Just invite them. You know, the devil convinces us, well, don't talk to them, they're not interested. And isn't it amazing how sometimes you can meet that one person in your community, and that one person gets saved, and all of a sudden it's just like dominoes. And they just start falling all over because this guy's influence before he was saved. And now because he's gotten saved, it makes a difference. I'm just saying, stay after the lost. And not only by going after the lost, we heard a good message on this, by giving to the Lord. Listen, uh, 1 Corinthians 16 says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I've given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prostered him. Uh, that there might be no gatherings when I come. Let me just quickly say, church, giving is a part of our worship to God. I, I, I went and pastored a church one time, and they only took offering on Sunday morning. I don't know how you do it here, and it's none of my business. I'm not the pastor here. But I've just never been to a church that did that. We take offering sometimes three or four times in the service. But anyway, uh, not Sunday morning, but. We take like a bus offering and things like that. The children participate. But anyway, and so they didn't take it Sunday night Wednesday. And so I said to them, why don't you take offering in any of the other services? We don't need the money. Now, I will say this. First time I'd ever been in a Baptist church that said we don't need the money. I said, what do you mean you don't need the money? So well, everything that we need is already provided 
in Sunday morning, so we didn't see a need of taking any other offerings. I said, no, no, you got it wrong. It's not about how much we're collecting. It's about part of our worship to God. It's part about giving people... I said, what if somebody's sick on Sunday morning? you got to wait till next week. What if there's a visitor and they want to drop something in? What if we want to do more for missions? I'm just saying, give people the opportunity. And they said, well, you know, preacher, that's fine. Uh, we'll try it. And we tried it. And God blessed it. I'm just simply saying you can't outgive the Lord, but giving, uh, you know, sometimes giving in a Baptist church. By the way, I'm going to say it again. I love the music here. Your church has tremendous music. It's right, it's holy, it's godly, but it's lively. I tell our ladies, I don't care what you play come offering time. I love the song, Jesus Paid It All, but don't play that during a Baptist offering. Got some people think, well, that means they don't need to give. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But have you ever noticed, not here, But in some Baptist churches, when the offering is played, it almost sounds like a funeral march. As people are saying farewell to George for the last time. (laughs) Giving ought to be a happy time, a rejoicing time. And we got it covered this morning, so I'll move on by gratefulness for fellow laborers. And folks, let's not forget we're not in this thing alone. It probably doesn't ever happen in Missouri, but in Arkansas, every once in a while, somebody gets bent out of shape. Every now and then, somebody in the church that I pastor backslides. I know it's shocking. And you see that one person backslide, and if you're not careful, they get all of the attention, all the focus, or somebody gets their feelings hurt, and, and boy, the devil begins to get us focused on maybe somebody that is crossways, and we'll miss the blessing of everybody else that's steadfast and faithful, and they're just abounding in the work of the Lord. Let's be thankful. Uh, Paul had said in Philemon 1, 23 and 24, Salute Epaphras, my fellow prisoners in Christ Jesus, Marcus, uh, uh, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. What Paul was saying is, I gotta remember, I'm not in this thing alone. God is on my side, but also have some friends to encourage me along the way. Thank God there are others. Listen, well, I, I'm, I'm grateful to be here. I've preached in churches, listen, where the, where it's just a handful of people. I've preached in churches where there's large congregations. But I'll tell you what, I'd, I'd hate to show up at a church and nobody be there. I'd have preached this morning if it had just been me and Brother Marshall. But I'd a whole lot rather see everybody's here today. Wouldn't you? You know, instead of letting the devil cause us to focus on who isn't living right, man, let's rejoice. There's some people still sticking by the stuff, being faithful, steadfast, unmovable. You're going to be steadfast. You're going to have to stay forgiving just like the Savior. I mentioned forgiveness at the retreat, but let me talk about it a little differently here in Ephesians 4.30, if you'd turn there real quick. The Bible said this about forgiveness. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, verse 30. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed in the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, not some, not a little bit, but all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And listen to this phrase, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Here's the exhortation. God said, I want you to forgive one another. Listen, not just to forgive, but to continue to forgive. Forgiving one another. Continue to forgive. Well, you let me down once. I'm not going to let you do that to me twice. That's not biblical. Forgive and keep forgiving. Now, I know there's some things involved. I don't have time to preach on the measures and steps of forgiveness. But I can tell you this, as long as I'll keep my heart right and keep forgiving those that trespass against me, 
I'm not going to have it interfere with my walk with the Lord. Stay forgiving. But notice the example he gives us, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but is there anybody in here that said, you know, Brother Graham, I got saved because I really deserved it. Man, I'm telling you, if God ever got a treasure, He got me. No, no. No. Man, if God ever owed salvation to anybody, He owed it to me because I'm telling you, they just don't come any better. No, we don't feel that way, do we? The fact is, when we pause and think about it, who am I that a king would bleed and die for? Who am I that he would say, not my will, but thine for? The answer, I may never know. Why he ever loved me so that to an old rugged cross he'd go. For who am I? And I'm reminded of his words, I'll leave thee never. What a blessing that is. And can I just say in light of that, I need to forgive even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven me. In other words, he didn't forgive me because I deserved it. He just forgave me. And if Christ could forgive me, I'm responsible for Him going to the cross as you are. How much more should we be willing to forgive those that trespass against us? He was a traitor to our country. His name was Michael Whitman and he was captured and at his trial it was proven that he had given the British invaluable assistance on numerous occasions. He was found guilty of spying and sentenced to death by hanging. On the evening before the execution, an old man with white hair asked to see General George Washington, giving his name as Peter Miller. He was ushered in without delay, for Miller, a Baptist preacher, had done a great many favors for the army, and now he was asking a favor of George Washington. He said, I've come to ask you to pardon Michael Whitman. Washington was taken aback. Impossible! Whitman hath done all in his power to betray us, even offering to join the British and help destroy us. He shook his head and he said, in these times we cannot be lenient with traitors, and for that reason I cannot pardon your friend. Friend, said the preacher. (laughs) He's not a friend of mine. He is my bitterest enemy. He has persecuted me for years. He's even beaten me and spit in my face, knowing full well that I would not strike back. Michael Whitman is not a friend of mine. Washington was shocked and puzzled. And he said, are you still wanting me to pardon him? I do. I ask it of you as a great personal favor. Washington said, why? He said, I ask it because Jesus did as much for me. And I want you to pardon him for Jesus' sake. Washington turned away. Walked into the next room. Soon he returned with a paper on which he had written the pardon of Michael Whitman. My dear friend, he said, placing this paper in the old man's hand, I thank you for this. George Washington said it had such an impact on his life as he understood the kind of forgiveness that only Christ could create in the heart of this man. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. Our forgiveness for others can make all of the difference in the world and the testimony it can bring will make a difference. Let me close by saying if we're going to be steadfast, stay focused in looking for the Savior. Jesus is coming again. I still believe that. 2020, I still believe that I should be looking for His appearing according to the Word of God. That I should not only be looking for His appearing, but I should be longing for His appearing. He had assured us that we uh, who are risen in Christ that one of these days when Christ is our life shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. But 
Paul took it a step further. I need to love His appearing. He said there's a reward in 2 Timothy 4 for those that love His appearing. The songwriter said, oh, I want to see Him. Look upon His face. There to sing forever of His amazing grace. I've said this often and I believe it to be true. When I get to heaven and I see Him and I'm aware of what He did Pay for my redemption. No matter what we've done for Christ, I feel like we'll all cry out with the songwriter that says, I wished I had given Him more. If you're not saved today, you start by giving your heart to Jesus Christ. Someone would be glad to open the Bible and show you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven when you die. You can have the gift of everlasting life only given by the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're saved today, and let's stay on the firing line. Keep our love for Jesus fervent. Let's keep living for Him and be forgiving. And most of all, let's look for Him to come again. Father, we love You. We're praying right now that even as we begin the invitation time that Your Holy Spirit would take complete control. Lord, we want to yield the invitation to You. I pray that You'll meet needs in Jesus' name. While our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just a couple questions. How many? Thank you for being in the services today with us at Riverside Baptist Church. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, we certainly would like to help you with that. You can get more information at our website at rbcstjoe.com or call here at the church. If you're a believer and God has spoken to your heart, I hope you'll take time to turn aside and let Him have His way in your life. If we can help in any way, shape, or form, please feel free to contact us. We look forward to ministering to you again.